Welcome to Breaking Green Ceilings, the podcast that amplifies the diverse voices of those who are committed to protecting and sustainably managing our natural environment. I'm your host, Sapna Mulki. Let's get started. We're back. For those of you who have stayed on, thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. This year has been even more hectic, but bringing these stories to you has been very important to me. So I've managed to still record some episodes during that time, which I am bringing to you in season five, starting with Green Muslims. This is a long and wholesome conversation, so I've broken it up into two interviews. The next interview will be available a week after next on Tuesday. So for this season five, we have five interviews that will be released every other Tuesday. And we will begin season six in early 2023. In this episode, we'll hear from Afnan Kairula and Sophia Gilani, who are volunteers with Green Muslims. I talked to them about how they're using their religion, Islam, to educate and connect fellow Muslims to nature. We talk about some of their favorite verses from the Quran and some of the programs they run under Green Muslims. So please do check out their website. It's got a lot of great information and I will also include that information in our show notes, including their detailed bios. But very briefly, I'd like to introduce Afnan and Sophia. So we'll start with Afnan. Afnan is a New Jersey native who moved to Northern Virginia in 2020 to start a career in the federal government. Time and again, Afnan has found herself drawing parallels with faith and eco-stewardship. So working with Green Muslims was a natural fit to address environmental stewardship in the Muslim community while also promoting environmental awareness. Sophia is the climate action advocate for Green Muslims. She was born and raised in Northern Virginia. Sophia spent much of her youth being outdoors with her family and later traveled to her parents' home countries of Pakistan and Nicaragua. Sophia has a strong passion for education and advocacy that she utilizes in her work with Green Muslims to help involve the Muslim community in environmental advocacy. Professionally, Sophia has worked in environmental compliance, solid waste, as well as construction. So before we get into this wonderful conversation, I want to share some big news. We have a new website. It's breakinggreensealings.com. Please do check it out for episodes from our past four seasons. We have in total about 50 episodes that we've released over the past two years. All right, let's do this. All right. Well, thank you so much, Afnan and Sophia, for being on the Breaking Green Ceilings podcast. Today, we're here to talk to you about Green Muslims and your affiliation with the organization and the work that you do. But before we go into the juicy part of this conversation, I'd love to know this first question that we ask all of our guests, which is what role has nature played in your life? And so let's start with Afnan. What role nature has played in my life? It shaped every aspect of it for me. Nature just helps me make my everyday choices, lifestyle changes, influenced career decisions for me. You know, everything that I do, I think like, well, how am I impacting the environment? And do I really want to do this? So I always give that so much thought and determines my activities, what I'm going to do for the day or the week. 
if I'm going to drive the car or your bike. <laughs> or, or where I'm going to go or how I'm going to spend my day. You know, am I going to go hiking or yeah. I'm going to go watch NASCAR, which is never NASCAR. <laughs> it's never. <laughs> but it's always hiking. <laughs> yeah. Where do you hike? Well, I'm new to this area, so I'm still exploring trails around here. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. Back when I was living in New Jersey, northern New Jersey was really great. And I would be able to, I was so close to upstate New York. Going there was easy to get to. And you know, I've been to Catskills and there's amazing trails everywhere. Mm. And so now you are based in Washington, D.C. Yes, the metropolitan D.C. and Virginia on the Virginia side. Okay, that's cool. I lived in D.C. for a few years, but I never went hiking. I never thought there was a place you could go hiking. I was just very city focused, which is unfortunate, but. Oh, but there's so many. Yes. Even in the city. Exactly. I just didn't know about them. (laughs) (laughs) Sophia, what role has nature played in your life? Yeah, I think I always start off with being little and having my parents take my brother and I just out. You know, my parents were immigrants that came in the 80s. About the time we were born in the 90s, they needed things for us to do that we could do as a family. And, you know, where they came from, Pakistan, Nicaragua, they had this upbringing that they wanted to share with us as closely as they could. And so that was, you know, going to parks, going to hikes, going to the beach. You know, if we had an idea, hey, we want to do this, they would find a way to get a weekend and, hey, we're at the beach. It might be 30 degrees outside in the middle of winter, but you wanted it, here we are. Yeah. So that's kind of my very central like core memory. And so now as I've gotten older, I've been able to do those experiences myself and with friends and with family as well. So it really kind of just connects me to my inner child, I guess, Hmm. and makes me feel connected to this world and feeling good about what I do. Yeah. Wow. That's the first one I've heard connected to my inner child. That's quite sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's so cute. I'll go through like baby pictures and like all of them. I'm like in a big puffer jacket outside, <laughs> 90s bucket hat, my little bowl cut. <laughs> Not crying in the cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it's in the summer, I'm wearing my chanclas. <laughs> yeah, I'm finding that for families, one of the most cost effective ways to spend time with each other is going to a park because... It's either free admission or it's fairly low fees, but yeah, it just also depends on your socioeconomic status. I can't say that it's the same for, for all families, but that's really nice that you were able to kind of spend time as a family, but also just explore your connection to nature. So one of the main things that I wanted us to kind of explore a little bit more in our conversation today is this interconnection between faith, religion, and nature. A lot of people, well, that's a blanket statement. I don't know how many people really think about the connection between religion and nature and how those two, from my perspective at least, are very, gosh, I'm losing words, very connected. (laughs) So from your perspective, what is the connection between your religion as Muslims and nature and or environmentalism? Yeah, I think I'll piggyback off my original answer a little bit. And again, relate to being a kid and being outdoors. My mom did not come from Muslim country. She ended up converting. And so I feel like it 
added more of a connection of Islam and of how she grew up and how she was raised in Nicaragua that helped me connect it to now that, I mean, outside of Islam, I think any religion or not religion can appreciate nature and environmentalism. And for me personally, at the state that I'm at now, I can look at what God has provided, has created the complexities in nature that we know and really appreciate it and want to preserve it, want to keep it as protected as possible. And so that's how I feel my religion connects between nature and environmentalism. Mm-hmm. You spoke of the most like fundamental interconnectedness, and that is that God or higher power created nature for all of us to kind of like enjoy and thrive in and be responsible stewards of. I think that's like one of the most obvious connections and the most like consistent throughout like all religions. And I'm not an expert in world religions, but the little that I do know about the main ones, there is a God who created and nature and everything beautiful in it. Afnan, what is your connection between your religion and nature and environmentalism? No, sir, I have a firm belief that environmentalism in Islam is, it's an obligation. It's our responsibility to treat all creatures, you know, everything that the creator has given to us with kindness and compassion and respect. And it's not really an option. It's what we have to do. So it's my duty as a Muslim to be very mindful of all animals, all plants, and and not think that as a human that we're above or more important or receive priority. All creatures are just as important. Yeah, yeah, they're akin. That's something I, I think I've recently become just a little bit more aware of. It's something that I knew growing up, I guess, in the Hindu religion. So in Hindu religion, we have like millions of gods (laughs) with a small g. (laughs) And we have gods for, for nature. So we have a god of fire. The rivers are gods. And also certain animals are like considered sacred, I guess. So like the most popular one is the cow. But We also have other animals that are depicted as, I don't know, like spiritually valuable, I guess, or like religiously valuable, like mice as well and tigers. So in that sense, we we view them as equal to us or just like part of our family in a sense. But it's just something that I didn't articulate until very recently in my life, I guess. Yeah, I would say that it's a complex thought process that you don't have when you're little. Yeah. (laughs) Or that when people are trying to teach you the basics of your religion and those complexities, it's hard to bring in one that they may be unfamiliar with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you grow up and as you experience life and the world, you can say, oh, I get it now. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a light bulb moment. Yeah. And then it's really hard to turn off that light bulb after you've turned it on. Right. Right. And just... I took a course on religion and the environment in college. And one of the religions that we did kind of learn a little bit more about was Hinduism. And we were just learning about how Hindus interact with nature. 
And that for me was mind blowing because like I've seen that stuff, but like the philosophy behind it or just like naming the behavior of the interaction of the people based on their religion with nature was something that maybe I took for granted or maybe I just didn't see it from that perspective. And then it just becomes like you were saying this moment where you cannot unsee it. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's the reason why like the River Ganges, it's actually like a god. Her name is Ganga. And we believe that Ganga is so pure that whatever you dump in her, she will purify it. And so that's why you'll see a lot of like people just like having their ceremonies at the river. And unfortunately, like there's a lot of dumping then because they think, oh, you know, she'll take all these impurities with her. So all of like the materials that we use from our ceremonies are just dumped in there. And sometimes ugh, this is a little bit like morbid, but a lot of cremations happen along the riverside. And so some families that are poor that cannot afford to like buy enough wood to complete the cremation of the body, like half cremated bodies are just like dumped into the river because they're like, yeah, Ganga will purify our loved ones and take her with them. Yeah, they're like, looking at yeah, it from exactly. how pure it is, how, how pure she is. Yeah, it's just so literal. And I'm like, no, it's, <laughs> uh, you're polluting the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many ironies in at least my religion sometimes. And interaction with nature where I'm just like, wow, we were, this is not in our scriptures, like, or it's just like the interpretation of those scriptures, right? Yeah. Anyways, we can like go down a rabbit hole with this <laughs> one, but have you all noticed anything similar with like how, from your own personal perspectives or experiences of how Islam may be interpreted, like from a nature perspective and then how communities interact with the nature? I think the biggest one that I see a lot is God's will. God's will is God's will. We aren't able to control that, right? When there's something set, it's set. And so some people take that, again, literally like, well, you know, we do use a lot of resources, but we can't do anything about that. But you could <laughs> backtrack that and be like, but we were given the resources to help better our lives. And at some point we should stop instead of overusing them. You know, and you can interpret that as God's will to provide for people while also keeping trees for animals, right? There, he's has also provided for the animals and the ecosystem and everything around us, not just us. Right, right. It's really important what Sophia just brought up because yes, there is God's will and, you know, there's no denying that. However, you know, we're taught like believe in God, have faith in God and God's going to protect you, but also tie your camel don't let your camel just roam free. Mm. <laughs> you know, you still tie your camel. You believe in God and that he's going to protect you, but also you should tie your camel and not just go crazy. And we have science that has shown that all of these resources that we're using up, are they're finite. We don't have an endless supply of them and we just throw them in the end. They end up in the back in the landfills, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, one of the things in Islam is being humble. Mm -hmm. And I see that a lot. I work in construction professionally. 
And I see a lot of people wanting, you know, the biggest house, the nicest things, the best of the best, right? And do you need a 12 bedroom, six car garage with imported tile from Turkey? (laughs) Maybe not, right? Do you need this super expensive hardwood for your three floors? Maybe not, right? There's humility in what we're taking. And I think it's really important to kind of balance our basic living and, you know, living nice, but also having humility and realizing that there's a world that exists around us that we should respect. Yeah. As I was thinking about this conversation and just doing the research behind like faith and, and environment, I was just thinking to myself is like, at least also in the Hindu religion, we do preach like, you know, only take what you need don't waste, you don't like need to live like extravagantly. Yes, have a comfortable living and all that. Yeah. But then I was like, but what role has capitalism played in the way we've lived and how has religion kind of helped us justify how we live in a sense? And like the capitalistic ways? Well, I was thinking, well, what you were saying, Sophia, you know, people tend to say, well, it's God's will. So, well, it's God's will that I came into this wealth and I'd like to use it. And you can use it to interpret it as you wish. Yeah. That's really interesting though, but because we're tested, we believe that we're tested with what God gives us. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if God gives us lots and lots of wealth, we're tested. So it's like, how did, did you spend this grand wealth that I gave you on this earth? All right. Did you use it? for the common good to improve other people's lives? Did you contribute to charity or did you live lavishly and ridiculously? And I remember my sister and I, we were being silly and we were on one of those, like Trulia, we're looking at houses for sale in the area. We're like, let's look at this 4 million house. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like 11 bedrooms. I'm like, we're looking at it and there's a fireplace in every single room. Wow. And then I was like, hey, I think Muslims live in here. There's a Quran on that shelf. <laughs> Why? We have what? arrived. <laughs> What's going on here? Why? What is the point of this? <laughs> and you know, it's really interesting too, because one of the five pillars of Islam is a cot, a charity. We should be donating. And so it's a really good point that, you know, people will accrue all this money and then maybe not follow through. You know, that's something that all Muslims should be doing in proportion to their wealth Mm -hmm. and not just at Ramadan, not just at Eid, but it should be like part of the way that we live. Right, right. But again, capitalism, we're so used to, we want everything, we want the best. It's hard to balance what everybody does, what everybody wants and feeling that gratification of, having something nice versus, oh, I can afford something modest and then donate a good portion or I can get something extravagant and maybe donate less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went to primary school in Nairobi and we had like religious education classes that we had to take. And we did learn a little bit about Islam and like the tenets of Islam. And one of the things I did remember was like, you have to give back to the community. Like that's one of your responsibilities as a good Muslim. And I think just in general, as a good human being. So yeah, I'm 
I was like, oh yeah, I remembered that. I don't remember what the other ones were. Maybe thou shall not covet your neighbor's wife for Christianity. <laughs> I am not sure. <laughs> so anyways, let's get to talking about Green Muslims. It's one of these organizations that I'm just so enamored by. So your organization works to connect Muslims everywhere to nature and environmental activism, which is thus our topic here. But you also like consider yourselves as like a source to the Muslim community for spiritually inspired environmental education, action and reflection. So I obviously got that description from your mission. And why I feel it's important to mention is like the spiritually inspired aspect that's in the mission that is, I think, at least caught my attention. And it's something that I appreciate maybe because I consider myself a little bit more spiritually inclined within my own like form of Hinduism. And so I'm curious to know, what does having a place like Green Muslims mean to you? And then also please do tell us what role you play within the organization. I understand that both of you are volunteers, which is like, it's a big deal. So like you have full-time jobs, but you're also volunteering your time towards this cause. And I hope that's inspiring for other folks as well to, to consider something similar as well. What is a place like, or what does it mean to have a place like Green Muslims for you? Sure. Personally, I mean, my faith is really important to me, as is environmentalism and taking care of the earth. And so like having Sophia and Savim <laughs> and just like people who really get it, but also you know, they understand the environmental struggle and they care and are taking action and putting words to action and, but also understand the religion and what other obstacles that I may be going through in everyday life. That's really important to me. And for a community perspective, I think it really gives me hope that we can engage our community to, you know, I have seen the Muslim community rally behind other causes in the thousands. And, you know, if we can get them to do that, then I think like there's hope that we can engage more Muslims in this community. And especially, you know, we're in the metropolitan DC and Virginia has the second highest population of Muslims in the country. Mm. So wow. that's pretty important to me. Yeah. And your role, if not and your role, what you do for Green Muslims. What I do for Green Muslims. <laughs> so I do sustainability and environmental programming. So I, how I actually ended up, how I crossed paths with Green Muslims is I moved here in the pandemic and I've been very isolated. And I was like, you know, I want to make good use of my time. So I started reaching out to a couple of mosques in the area. I was like, I would like to help you <laughs> green your space. <laughs> Will you let me? And then uh, when I was like, you should talk to Green Muslims. I'm like, who? <laughs> and then I did. They got me in touch. And then it's from there. It's I'm on the same mission to promote environmentalism and sustainability because that's also my background. I just wrapped up my master's in sustainability science. So I would love to help Muslims learn how they can live sustainably, make these lifestyle changes that I've also made. I wonder, is there like a zero waste mosque that exists? Probably. Very highly. There's definitely lots of mosques that have broached it you know, all over. Mm. 
not just in the DC area, but are definitely looking at what they can do to be as close to zero waste as possible. Yeah. I don't think I know of any like temples that are... I would maybe do a research, see if they exist. Yeah, I was going to Google it after this conversation. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) that'd be really cool. Yeah, because, gosh, most of the temples that I'm familiar with, they're just massive. And then like, you know, the idols are made out of gold and they're like gold pillars and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think there are a few Hindu temples, if you ever are interested and want to take a tour, I would recommend it. (laughs) I did go to one once, part of a religion class that I took in undergrad. Mm. So it was like world religions class. We went to a Hindu temple and it was was very lavish. It was gorgeous. Very beautiful. Yeah. I mean, like their architectural feats, some of them. So it's really impressive. But again, like... This is probably best for me coming from you, but I'm like, there's an element of waste there. Because <laughs> I'm like, do we need all of this stuff in gold? And, you know, like, I don't know, we're just here to try and connect with, you know, higher power. So, but anyways, it's, I think that like taps into some of our capitalistic side. But anyways, this is about green Muslims, not like <laughs> non-green <laughs> Hindus. <laughs> Or non-green Hindu temples. So, Sophia, I almost like skipped that question on you. (laughs) Tell us. No worries. What does it mean to have a place like Green Muslims to you? Yeah, it means a lot. You know, I feel like very intrinsically nature and environment goes hand in hand in my interpretation of Islam. And so it's great to see that be actually portrayed in a real organization have the 5013C status and being able to be a resource to our community and communities. And personally, that's helped me really connect with my faith in the whole in the way that I wanted to. And I love that the work that we do, we do a lot of work with children, with families, and being able to talk to kids and kind of plant that seed of my light bulb moment with them. And even if it takes a while, it's there. And I hands down believe that kids are going to be the future and that they're going to be what really pushes us along. And being able to be part of an organization that's starting to do that means, you know, the world to me. And in my role with Green Muslims, I'm the climate action advocate. I started as an intern a few years ago and I kind of did everything and helped a lot all around. And then I decided, you know, it was back when a Sunrise Movement was really coming out and they were protesting at senators' offices and creating all these marches. And I had friends in Sunrise Movement and I really wanted to be kind of that advocate beacon for green Muslims and really push for advocacy work. I feel like a lot of times we can do a lot of the fun nature and hikes and education, but we really want to also push advocacy and that we need strong reform. And as a Muslim person, we want, or as Muslims, we want to help better the lives of everyone by not being wasteful. You know, we're all God's creations, regardless of religion. And we shouldn't be trying to make things better for just one group. But really the work that we're doing is to benefit everybody. Right. Yeah. As you were talking, it just made me think of, it kind of formalizes two of the things that you're most passionate about. I'm sure you're passionate about other things, but 
your religion and nature and environmentalism. And it's now just kind of like packaged under like green Muslims, but there's just so much more agency with that, right? Because yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like, yeah, those are two powerful things that you're bringing together into like action, essentially. And you're appealing to people's faith, which people feel very passionate about, right? And you're trying to help them see kind of their place in nature and also advocate for it. Yeah, and like nature and like our planet. I think that's like the advocacy part comes out. We're advocating for this planet, for you know the entire creation. Right. Any good work we do here, like local in Virginia, can benefit outside of these made up borders, you know? Right, exactly. So then that just kind of brings me up to the next question here, which is, since you're melding religion and nature, what are some of the teachings that you use from the Quran that you share with the kids that you work with as it relates to environmental sustainability? And how do you incorporate it into your activities as an organization? Yeah. So I personally like to keep it very basic and kind of go with the whole God created this planet. He created us, created everything that is residing or has ever resided on here. That means a lot. You know, we can pick a forest, for example, and think about all the things that were created. We're talking dirt, worms, bugs, grass, bushes, trees, birds, raccoons, everything. In a small scale, you can probably count millions and billions of things to kind of put into context what exactly has been created for us and for everybody and that we have a responsibility to be protecting that. You know, when our lives aren't more valuable than something that's not human, right, just because we're human. And that in Islam, again, humility is a great thing and that living, you know, within our means and being respectful of consecration of, and of others means a whole lot. Water, for example, we do classes on watersheds, but water, for example, gives us life, right? It continues to give us life, everything life, we, everything needs it. And we should be respectful of that, you know, and try to have clean water. And I think being able to connect Islam and environmental education does a whole lot, especially starting with kids, young, get them in that thought process, but also adults who might not have been thinking about that. And now they can also have their light bulb moments, never too late. The same question for you, Afnan, is what are some of the teachings that you lean on from the Quran when you are trying to help folks see the direct connection between being a change maker and a Muslim? Right. I like to establish a good relationship with the Quran. And I referenced this book because I did my capstone research project on creating curriculum that encourages environmental change in the Muslim community. And I referenced this book a lot. It's called Signs on the Earth by Fazloon M. Khalid. And some of the verses that I found here in this in the interpretation, I won't read it in Arabic. I'll just read the interpretation. But this one that 
I found like really, it was a sign of climate change and how like it's real. In Islam, we have signs that, you know, we can't deny that climate change is real. And there are these verses and they translate to, he raised the heaven and established the balance so that you may not transgress the balance. Give just weight, do not skimp the balance. He laid out the earth for all living creatures. And this is really profound because, you know, we think about not exceeding two degrees with the Paris Climate Agreement and how we need to reduce the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere or, you know, stop emitting. (laughs) But that's the balance. That's we're breaking the balance and it's accelerating or causing the climate change. And then we have verses that pertain to habitat protection. And I have over here a verse that translates to, so set your face firmly to the faith in pure devotion, the natural pattern on which Allah made humankind. There shall be no changing Allah's creation. That is the true way, but most people do not know. And that's preserving and protecting and not altering habitats to our convenience so we could build our McMansions, (laughs) make room for our McMansions. And a verse here that really, to me, I think encourages or promotes stewardship, eco-stewardship. It translates to corruption has appeared on land and sea by what people's own hands have wrought, that he may let them taste some consequences of their deeds so that they may turn back. Mm. And it just, it means like we have done things in the past, but it doesn't mean that we can't go back and fix what we've done. Right. And there's one on biodiversity, but there's one also here, which is also about remediation and stewardship and protection and yeah, habitat protection. It translates to, then whoever has done an atom's weight of good shall see it. And whoever has done an atom's weight of evil shall see it. So it's those who've done bad and didn't repent or didn't say, wow, I need to undo what I did. There's going to be consequence to it, you know, as we're here on earth to be tested and we're tested in the hereafter. But when we do good, you know, and I think it's very profound. It says an atom's weight of good. And it just, it means like do as much as you can, even if it's what you're capable of doing is so little. Right. It's just not to think, well, I can't do anything or what I'm going to do isn't going to make a difference because it's according to whom God sees you, Allah sees you and Nothing goes unnoticed, even the tiniest of actions. It's all about the intention. And those are the verses that I go back to. And there's a lot about water also. Water. (laughs) Yeah, water, yeah. (laughs) The verses are really like romantic at the same time or poetic. Poetic is the word, I guess. But I think the second verse that you read where it said that whatever Allah wants will happen, it will not be undone. Something of that sort. There shall be no changing Allah's creation. 
the natural pattern on which Allah made humankind, there shall be no changing Allah's creation. Right. For me, that made me think of that Mother Nature will sustain, like she will take care of herself because that's the way Allah created her. Like, y'all can die, but she will <laughs> yeah, sustain, we're, right? We're going to go somewhere. Not. Like, there's no undoing that. <laughs> we're going to be perished. The earth isn't going anywhere. It's in some ways, I compare climate change and all these record high temperatures. It's like the earth has a fever because she's ill and we made her ill mm-hmm. and she has a fever. <laughs> yeah. She's got a fever and she's trying to like burn that bug that she's got. Yeah. But that thinking for me, as well as also balanced with the other verse that you were talking about in terms of like, Allah sees everything and that when you do good, Allah sees that when you do bad, Allah also sees that like there's consequences for your action, right? So a sense of accountability. So the way I'm thinking of it is each one of those verses are kind of like connected and shouldn't necessarily be taken out of or should tell us like a story the way you read it to us. So, Right. I think the second one that I mentioned also, you know, how it starts out, it says, so set your face firmly to the faith in pure devotion. There's also importance to that. You know, it doesn't necessarily talk about environmentalism or nature or in the environment in any way, but it just, it reminds you like what our priorities are on this earth, like Mm -hmm. to live simply. And it just reminds you like, what are we here for? What are we on this earth for? Why are we here? And why are we chasing all this materialism and lifestyles? It makes you ask, why are we here? And what are we doing? Yeah. And just living more simply and more humbly and in a devoted life and just automatically causes you, it makes you by default, you're living simply. Yeah. I think that's like this lifelong question that many of us ask ourselves. And the way I'm thinking of it is like religion sometimes makes it hard to live, like, or religion essentially tries to help us to overcome some of like our downfalls as human beings. The way I think of it in terms of like greed, the desire to like accumulate more wealth and materials and stuff like that. And corruption, like was mentioned in that one verse. It's just, I feel like those are... (laughs) Those are elements of like humankind that have been kind of haunting us for so long. It's just like, and religion is a way for us to try and like get away from some of those like toxic human characteristics. Our like guide to overcome. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) Guide to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a life manual. Indeed. Exactly. Because it, it just makes me think like, even in Hinduism, there's several scriptures. And so in some of the scriptures, they also tell you how to like eat food and like in what order to eat food and how to like keep your house clean and stuff like that. And I believe also Islam has some of those teachings, right? Of like how to keep yourself clean and how to keep your house in order, how to do your finances, how to run a government. <laughs> like, yeah, 
how to treat your family. <laughs> yeah. It's actually really interesting. In Islam, it's a firm belief like not to ever eat until you're full. Mm-hmm. The prophetic way is to like eat enough to sustain you so that you're not starving. It doesn't encourage starving, but eat just enough to sustain you. So it's like one third of your stomach is water, one third of your stomach is air, and one third of your stomach is food. So just enough to sustain you, but not like, oh man, I'm full. I'm going to go into a food coma. But we're all guilty. We're still guilty of it. Yeah, food is so good. (laughs) I love food. (laughs) Yes, I think that is my one weakness, I must say. (laughs) Random thought. It reminded me of this movie. It's called Spirited Away. It's an animation. I love it. I watched it again. Last week. Oh, you did. I've been wanting to watch it. Yeah. It's on HBO Max. Oh, it is? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I know what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> but that movie is about greed and overeating. What's the word for like overindulging, but like a glutton? Yeah, gluttony. Yes. Yeah, gluttony. gluttony. <laughs> so when you were talking about overeating, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the scene in, or it's one of the teachings from Spiritual Away. One of the very first ones. Yeah. Yeah. Because like the parents see all that food and they're like, oh, look at all this. And it does look so good. So they turn into pigs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah. It's not funny that they turn into pigs, but you know. But they turn back at the end. They do. So it's a happy ending. Yeah. Their daughter saved them. Ah, <laughs> oh, you ruined the ending. <laughs> episode should come with a spoiler alert. <laughs> it's a 20-year-old movie. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, man. No, I don't know it, but I will watch it this weekend. (laughs) Hey, all. Thanks for listening to Breaking Green Ceilings. If you'd like to hear more episodes with change-making environmentalists, head on over to watersavvysolutions.com backslash podcast. You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, if you love the show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like on iTunes. You can also sign up for my newsletter to find out when new episodes are available. And please do share the podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and whoever you think will be inspired by the wisdom of our change makers. I always welcome feedback, so please do feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is also on watersavvysolutions.com. Until next time, keep breaking through those green ceilings.